Hello, distinguished guests, and welcome back to another episode of the Desert Tiger Podcast. I am your host here on the DTP, and my name is Colton G. Today on this episode of the podcast, I am super excited for my guest, Bay Ragney. You might know him otherwise under a different name, of course, that being Chubby Dudley. And we're going to be diving into that conversation very soon, but of course, I before I get there, there's a few things that I would like to do first. And of course, those of you who have been with the show for a while know that I want to thank those of you who went and checked out last week's episode, which featured my good friend Ill Vibe as we spoke about his upcoming album Love Among Thieves and his transition from rapping to singing. I had a great time talking to Ill Vibe and like I said I want to thank those of you who checked it out if you haven't. It is in the backlog of Desert Tiger along with a ton of other amazing interviews so why don't you go ahead and check that out. I also want to go ahead and mention that this week's episode is brought to you of course, by ILoveDTP.com. Why is that? That's because ILoveDTP.com is the place where you are going to go ahead and get yourself decked out in a ton of sweet Desert Tiger gear so that you can wrap the show every single place that you go in front of your friends, in front of your fans, in in including in front of your enemies, because really, are they actually going to stop you from doing what you want to do? Hell no. All right, so let's jump into a little bit of a description before we get into today's guest, that of course being Chubby Dudley, that being Bay Regni. I think you guys can tell I'm pretty excited for this one. This is a freaking killer interview. It actually might be one of my favorite ones, and that's saying something. I hate picking favorite interviews, but this one was freaking incredible, and I can't wait. Of course, Bay grew up a fan of the entertainment industry, of music, of wrestling, of all sorts of different things, and we're going to delve into where that love grew and how that eventually led him into getting involved with the professional wrestling industry. Of course, Bay ended up getting involved with ECW before it was Extreme Championship Wrestling. When it was Eastern Championship Wrestling, he was known as EZ Rider, one of the Hell Riders. And of course, he actually ended up coming back to ECW after Paul Heyman came over, took over the company. Bay Regney actually ended up coming back to join one of the premier stables, one of the top stables, not only in ECW, but one of the wrestling industry's best stables considered to be of that era. He joined the Dudley family as Chubby Dudley, and we're going to be diving into that too. What was his experiences with Eastern Championship Wrestling and Extreme Championship Wrestling? What was it like being a member of the Dudley family as ECW was breaking out into major markets as things were changing? And of course, he actually ended up retiring from the pro wrestling industry in 2002. So we're going to ask him how that ended up winding down from that moment. Of course, Bay also 
ended up starting his own little podcast radio station, kind of like what we got going on here with Desert Tiger, except his has been going for way longer. It's about been going for about seven years now, hundreds of episodes, incredible interviews, and he has actually won awards for his work in the city of Baltimore as a radio host and personality. Bay is the brain and the main voice behind Totally Driven Entertainment, a show where he likes to just interview people that he is interested in, focused in, and we're going to be diving into what inspired him to get back into the entertainment industry and what Totally Driven Entertainment means to him. And of course, after that, we're actually going to get a little bit serious as we touch onto his diagnosis with sarcoidosis. Many of you may not know what that is, but it's actually the disease that ended up affecting NFL Hall of Famer Reggie White and comedian Bernie Mac, so it's actually something that can be very serious. How does it affect Bay in his everyday life? And of course, he has also returned to, well, somewhat returned to the pro wrestling circuit by doing conventions, a lot of fan signings, meet and greets. How is it for Bay to return to the pro wrestling industry after maybe possibly leaving on not the greatest of terms? All of these things and more in today's episode of the DTP, and I am so freaking excited, you guys. So let's get into this one with my guest today, Bay Regney, aka Chubby Dudley. The Desert Tiger Podcast. And there he is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How's it going, Bay? Good, man. How are you? I am fantastic. Feeling really good now that I actually had a chat with you. Awesome. That's what I like to hear. I like to hear it as well. I like to hear the enthusiasm on the other end. (laughs) Yeah, it's a beautiful thing, man. You know, you do these interviews. People got you. Got to be enthused to do an interview on either end. So, yeah, man, let's rock it. Fantastic. So you just want to start it off? Just go right into it. Whatever you want to do, you're the boss. All right. Usually I like give an introduction, but let's just roll right into things here, I guess. So let's start with your love of the entertainment business because looking into totally driven entertainment, which we'll get into later, you definitely have interest in a lot of different areas of the entertainment business. And of course, the first way that you got into things that most people would know you for, of course, would be Chubby Dudley. But was wrestling your first love or were you into other avenues before you got there? Were you was radio your first love? Was music for your first love? How did you get into entertainment itself? You, you know that this is going to be a funny funny answer for you with a good question. Uh, so wrestling was not my first love. Radio was not my first love. Um, when I was a little kid, um, my two first loves in the world of entertainment was one Evil Knievel, like I wanted to be evil Knievel and the other one was the freaking planet of the apes I wanted to be an ape and I I can I remember and I've told this story to like uh, you know not I've never told this story on an interview but I, I can remember being in kindergarten I mean this show my age and back in the, the the true time of the original planet of the apes and all of the TV show I remember going to kids in my kindergarten class telling them I'm going to remake uh, the movie, The Planet of the Apes. Would you want to be in my movie? So I'll, I'll say those two things, uh, Planet of the Apes and Evil Knievel were my first true loves of entertainment. 
and and football, the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, all right. So been a big fan of the home team for a long time then. Absolutely. Absolutely. When they won the Super Bowl two years ago, there's a video of me on Facebook at that moment, and I'm just a crying, babbling baby of emotions. Yeah, it was one of, next to my children being born, probably the, the third greatest moment in my life. Hmm. Something you've been waiting for a long time, I'm t- I take it then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll be I'll be 50 years old next year, so yeah. Oh, so wow. about uh, 40, <laughs> about 47 years I've been waiting. Oof. Well, I'm glad that you are able to at least experience that moment. Absolutely. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Finally. Okay, so from your days of watching Evil Knievel and wanting to be an ape from Planet in the, of the Apes, where do you go from there? You know, be, just being a little kid, just always wanting to be involved in something entertainment-wise, and then the next true love, um, which is probably one of my biggest loves to this day, is music. And the, again, the kid of the 70s, my, my first album was Sean Cassidy, the Do Run Run, and I just became hooked and wanted. then I wanted to be the, the rock star. And my sister's husband at the time played guitar, and he bought me my first guitar, and I remember sitting there as a kid, um, you know, trying to play guitar and sing along with my Sean Cassidy album. And then fast forward, like, the, probably a year later, my cousin bought me my first Kiss album. And forget it. Like, that truly just changed my life. Uh, and it's kind of scary, too, because um, my cousin who bought me that album, just he, he literally just passed away last week. And his services were yesterday, and I was asked to give the eulogy. And I was telling the story of how he gave me that first album. And um, it not only would did it change my life, my mom probably... Uh, if she was alive, she would probably say ruined my life as well. But um, m- yeah, music. Um, um, as a teenager, I started, you know, was really getting serious about guitar, putting bands together in high school, and that was like my big thing. It was my my big goal, and what I wanted to do was really be uh, a guitarist and a musician in a band. But at the time of the you know the '80s and the whole hairband explosion, we'll say that that whole era of music that I truly love. You know, I was always I was always the fat kid, always a fat guy, like always overweight. No matter how much I really tried to lose weight, I just was never in my nature. And um, you know, I, I always thought to myself, like, you don't see fat rock stars. So I knew, like, the cards were already stacked against me. Not that I was even a good musician, but I didn't have to look for it either. My second love at the time, starting through the uh, mid '80s became pro wrestling so that was like like some people have the backup plan of like getting a trade or you know some type of uh, something behind them going to school going to college like mm-hmm. i i dropped out of high school and opened the pizza shop in 18 and my backup plan was rock star and then my third backup plan was pro wrestling oh wow so <laughs> entrepreneur yeah rock star absolutely. Pro wrestler, <laughs> absolutely, yeah, yeah. There was never in my in my mind or my eyes like a true a true career path or trade that would be like something, you know, very common in the world. Well, either way, uh, if pizza had worked out, would have been a successful business owner and had either one of the other two options panned out. 
things would have went well either way too and one of them did pan out in a way as well so at what point did you actually end up becoming a fan of pro wrestling can you remember a specific moment that you were introduced to it or like a match that really caught you totally 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 um early 80s so um growing up my my father passed away when i was real young i was four years old so Growing up, it was me and my mom. I uh, had an older sister who was 16 years older than me, so she had already like gotten married, moved out of the house, and um, my mom's parents, my grandparents, ended up moving in with us after my father had passed. So it was uh, I, I was raised by the three of them, and um, we didn't ha- we really didn't have no money. Like my mom uh, was on a fixed income. She, she literally like I think about it now, and I'm, I, I don't know how she did it. Like. She she lived off of four hundred hours a month, <laughs> like you know what I mean. Like okay, I I understand yeah it was the seventies and eighties, but still you try to think of that today like four hundred hours a month. Like I have days like good days in in what I do, like where I make more than that in, in a day. <laughs> like, so I, I try to imagine living off that for a month is just scary. So um, we we never had cable TV, and even as I got older and I started working like at like fifteen sixteen years old, I, I was like please like I'll pay for it and she was just not about it she was would not allow that extra bill in the house so on weekends like like once a month I I would end up going um either me and my mom or just me would spend weekends down in in South Philly at one of my relatives house my uh, my my uncle and my cousin Joey Joey was a couple years younger than me so like we had a lot of the same interests and stuff and it was it was, it was good because we can ended up becoming very good friends through life not only family but my uh, my uncle Ralph his father would sit there and they had cable and he would sit there on Saturday evenings and watch like old Georgia wrestling and and stuff like that and it was around 1981 82 maybe even 1980 like that I first started seeing this on Saturday nights and we'd be out in the kitchen like reading comic books or drawing or whatever or playing video games and I would hear the music going in and out of commercial and that started getting my attention and then I would start to go out there and sit with him on the couch and and, and watch like what was going on and I used to just think to myself like this is crazy stuff like what's what is this and then it was the moon dogs where it was these three guys with bleached blonde hair big bushy beards and ripped up jeans and stuff and they would come out and they didn't talk and they would bark and act like dogs and they were chewing on bones and i was like this is absolutely the greatest thing i ever saw in my life like i was there from then hooked so whenever i would go there i started watching it on saturday nights with him and then i realized i discovered wow it it, wwf at the time or wwf was on saturday mornings on normal TV. So I started watching it myself and then I would, you know, go down there and we'd compare notes and stuff like that. And then it was funny because years later when I got involved with wrestling, like I would bring like, um, videotapes of, of my matches to sit and watch with him. And he, he used to just sit with me in utter amazement. And he would just say, Bay, you can't tell me this is fake. You can't. He's like, this is completely real. And I'm like, Uncle Ralph, it's, it's, it, you know, no, it's, it's fake. It's, it's, he's like, no, he refused to believe like uh-huh. even all those years later. I mean, the poor guy, he passed away in his seventies, but I mean, I don't know how long he was a fan for, but probably I'll, I'll, even if I say if he was a fan for 40, 50 years, there was no telling him wrestling was not fake. 
Yeah, so even when you're showing him your matches, he's still like, no, man, that that guy's pummeling you. Like, where are your yeah. bruises? Come on. Yeah, refuse to believe. Refuse to believe. It was great. It was great. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> oh, that is fantastic. So at what point did you decide that you actually wanted to pursue the business and make the switch from going full out towards music to actually getting into wrestling school because it actually takes a plunge especially at that point in time in the industry to get inside of it so what was that moment like for you what did it take you know what it was uh it was 1990 and i kind of you know i really was seeing the writing on the wall with the music business and really coming to grips with you know like i said but the, the whole weight thing and stuff like that and i saw there was really starting to be like a change in the music business where i saw like it was the oversaturation of it and I could just like I can just feel that it was going to die out soon. Like it wasn't going to be forever. At the time, my sister's fiance, uh, he was working for a local township, and one of the guys that worked for the township with him was a local pro wrestler. So he had me. Um, I meet up, met up with this guy one night, and um, you know he told me all about the the wrestling school that he was involved with, and you know how much it would cost, and you know who I needed to talk to, and he gave me the number of the promoter, which ended up being um, Joel Goodhart, who was running the TWA at the time, the Tri-State Wrestling Alliance, which was the precursor to ECW, and I went up to to Joel's uh, wrestling school, uh, me and actually I think four of my friends, we all went and tried out, and. Um, he, he accepted us and, and said, you know, here's the deal and here's what you got to pay and here's how you have to pay it. And, you know, uh, it was the middle. It, actually, it was probably right around this time. It probably was in July of 1990. And then, uh, you know, I, I had to come up with $1,000 for the down payment. And I was like, crap, I'm like, where am I going to get $1,000 at? And I ended up selling all my music equipment. And got the money. So I got $1,000 to put down. And I started wrestling school that September. September, I think the date was like September 20th, 1990. Wow, you can remember it straight down to the date. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. It, it, I mean, it was truly, I, I became like my whole like obsession with music truly switched over to pro wrestling at that point. Like I, I really, like when I get involved with things, like I get so tunnel vision with stuff and I, and I just get pretty much kind of obsessed because I know you got to be in it and, and go for it and especially at that time where I was really younger and I really didn't have nothing holding me back I was really able to go for it at that point fair so once you jump into the training what was your initial response to the business once you actually hit the ropes once you actually take your first couple bumps so uh, here was the whole thing. So I didn't even think I was going to make it past the tryout because the, the one of the biggest moves in wrestling is being able to do a front flip. And I could not do that front flip. Like I never did a, a tumble salt in my life. I never flipped forward in my life. And at that point, I'm 20 years old. And I was scared to freaking death to do it. Like it just <laughs> it was a total mind over matter thing. And it, you know, the, the promoter, Joel and the, the teachers, uh, my teacher, Larry winners, my original teachers, Larry winners and Ron Shaw, you know, they, they were like, look, you know, we can 
help you try to get there, but he was, they're like, you know, it's going to have to be you. It's got to come from you to do this flip. Like, we can tell you'll get everything else down. That's not going to be the problem. Getting this flip down is the number one obstacle. And it was hell. It was torture. It became, like, such a thing that was so focused on because they would make me stand there for two hours trying to flip. And they'd be in my face, hollering and screaming at me, calling me a pussy, calling me every name in the book. The promoter's uh, wife at the time, she would get in the ring. She had nothing to do with wrestling. And she would do it. And they'd be like, look, a girl can do it and you can't do it. Like, they would rip me to shreds. Like, I would walk out of there, like, so mentally beat down. And, and I just couldn't do it. And then it would, like, you know we would just go along with learning all the other stuff and I was able to do everything. And like, if somebody was there to guide me, like do a hip toss or take me over for a suplex, I was good, but doing it by myself, I could just not do fast forward. We're now six months into the training and it got to the point where like, you know, I, I could pretty much go and do a match, but they told me like, we're not going to allow you to work a match until you can do that flip. I was like, Oh man. So at that point, um, Stevie Richards ends up starting wrestling school. And me and him became very good friends. And, and we would end up going there during the day, me and him. And uh, one of the guys we became very close friends with, who's one of my best friends to this day, uh, Jimmy Gennetti. And we would go in there during the day and train. And we would go back at night and train. And like they, they were like helping me so much to try to do this. And I just could not do it. And then one night, I ended up snapping my ankle in wrestling school. So now I'm out for six months because I'm in a cast and I had to come back from that. And then I came back and they, they honestly said, they said, we didn't expect you to come back. And I came back and started all over. And then they were to the point where like, you know what? Like you, you can go, like you can do this stuff. If somebody's there, you can do the flip. We'll give you the match. I'm like, cool, let's do it. So they ended up, we figured out the gimmick and it was going to be, um, my original gimmick was a biker gimmick, and they tagged me up with a guy, um, Pat. He was HD Rider. I was Easy Rider. We were, we were known as the Hell Riders. We were all set to debut for Tri-State Wrestling Alliance February of 92. And three weeks before my debut, uh, Joel Goodhart announces on his radio show that Tri-State Wrestling Alliance is no more. Oh, Out of cool. business, broke, closed up shop, we are done. Hasta la vista, and Joel disconnects his phones. And this, I mean, this is before cell phones and all that stuff. Disconnects phones and just goes into hiding, and nobody hears from him again. So we were all kind of like, "What the hell is going on?" Well, one of the um, main backers of uh, the Tri-State Wrestling Alliance was Todd Gordon. So the you know phones start ringing, and there's an emergency meeting called uh, with uh, Bob Ortiz, who was uh, ECW ring announcer Todd Gordon, a bunch of the boys and all. We all get together and sit down, and Todd tells us, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna restart this. Uh, we're now gonna be called ECW Eastern Championship Wrestling, and you know we're just sort of gonna continue on new name. He's like, you know, we got new bookers and this and that, and it continued on. And from that point, I had to now try out for Todd, and Todd was also. On the board, he was one of the, the main people in, um, oh, what was the charity? I forget what the charity was, but he um, he would do a free summer camp show for the kids 
uh, once a year. And that's where my tryout was uh, that summer of 92. From that point on, we, uh, we, we started getting booked starting that fall on the shows. So, uh, you know, 92, 93, part of 94, the Hell Riders were in ECW. We, we helped ECW get their um, TV contract. We helped, uh, I was helping a lot behind the scenes with promotions and uh, marketing with Todd, you know, enter Eddie Gilbert, and everything just kind of got erased. Like, we got completely squashed out. Um, a lot of the Philly guys got pushed aside and you know a lot of the memphis guys got brought up which you know at the time i'm 23 24 years old so very salty on the world of pro wrestling and a lot of us guys were and you know we were all young and you know we didn't understand that's how business works and uh, now that i look back at it like i totally get it and i've done the same thing myself when i've done my own shows and booking and stuff like that so i get it but at the time i was very angry and i was like you know what like I can do the same thing. And I started my own promotion. I started uh, Liberty All-Star Wrestling and, uh, to go up and compete against them and, you know, started uh, that venture of uh, of life. So you started promoting in 94 then? Yeah, November of 94. Oh, wow. So that yep. was actually in the Philadelphia area going up against what was Eastern Championship Wrestling before Paul Heyman came and bought him out. Yep. Yep. Actually, uh, at that point, Paul had come in through Eddie and then there was the big fallout between Todd Gordon and Eddie Gilbert and Paulie took over. And, um, yeah. And then the funny thing was, you know, fast forward six months, seven months after I had started promoting shows, the, the Dudley boys were formed. Uh, Stevie Richards was now back in ECW as his Stevie Richards gimmick with Raven. And then they uh, started the Dudley gimmick. And at the time I was still, I was uh, very involved in, you know, the Philly scene and I would hang out a lot uh, at the hotels and stuff after shows, whether it was ECW or um, WWE or WCW. And, you know, I was keeping myself out there and networking with people and with the fans and stuff like that. So they knew I was still around and what I was doing and promoting my, my product. And when the Dudley thing was starting, like Richards came to me, he's like, he called me up. He's like, dude, he's like, you look like one of these Dudleys. Like I got to get you back to meet Paul. And I was like, well, all right, well, like, let's do it. Cause I was thinking the same thing. Like when I saw them, I'm like, holy shit, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, it was kind of scary and eerie. So, you know, whatever it was that weekend or the following weekend, um, after an ECW show back at the hotel, uh, Richards brought me over to meet Paul and introduces me to Paul. He goes, Paul, this is, this is Bay. And Paul just took one look at me and he, and I quote, Oh my God, another fucking Dudley. <laughs> and, and that's how it started. He, he's like, do you have a tie dye shirt? I said, no. He goes, go buy a tie dye. Come to the shows next weekend. He's like, what, what do you want your gimmick to be? And I was like, ah, you know what? I want to be studly Dudley. And he just looked at me. He's like, no. I'm like, chubby Dudley. He's like, yes, get a tie dye, bring food with you and start next weekend. And that's how it became. <laughs> that's what I did. So you actually ended up getting into ECW after we became Extreme Championship Wrestling, being you're, you become one of ECW's premier stables at the time. So what does that become like once you guys actually get into things? You know, it was it was really so weird because 
you know, before that, my, you know, that my first run in ECW, it was, it was so different because it was so more local based and, and we had like our local fan base and it was really like small time. And I realized that because with this second coming now, like when I went back, you know, the crowds were much bigger. The crowds were much more, uh, you know, it was truly the, the world now of smart marks and, and people were really obsessed with things. And then when you go back, you know, we would go back to the hotel afterwards and wait to like, you know, film our promos and stuff like that for TV after shows and stuff, you know, the, the, the we'd be just hanging out at the bar party and like, you didn't have to like pay for nothing no more. Like people were buying you drinks left and right. People just wanted to be around you. Girls who didn't give a crap about you three weeks ago are now, you know, <laughs> inviting you to their rooms and stuff. I mean, it was just a really weird experience. You know, you go from something to nothing or, or nothing from something, I should say, uh, you know, in, in a matter of hours. And, it's just a weird roller coaster ride, and you know, now like I, that I had like a taste of that, and I see, uh, I've experienced that, and, and you know, you see like p- people who, you know, they they get a level of success and stardom, and you you see their fall from grace, or, or their you know they unravel. Like I totally get it because it, it's it's a scary ride, man. Like people just end up treating you you know they put you on that pedestal and they just want to do for you and give you and and just please you and it's just a weird weird thing that can really emotionally screw with somebody big time and um when when you don't have that no more it's even more of a uh messes on your mind it's it's a weird ride man it really is and so yeah but i'll tell you what it was a lot of freaking fun (laughs) Mm -hmm. no it's kind of weird how popularity itself becomes a commodity and then how people want to hang out with you and suddenly what's theirs is yours too and then that can disappear just as quickly like it was i'm telling you it was so weird so that was like 95 when i went back to ecw and i was still my day job i'm i'm delivering pizzas like so i'm still in the pizza business and i would go to people's houses to deliver their pizza and like kids or, or or people that were you know, wrestling fans, like all of a sudden they open their door and they're looking at me and they're like, um, aren't you? I'm like, yeah, yeah. And, and, and like, they would be totally freaked out. Like and he, next thing you know, they're like making me autograph pizza boxes or, you know, I, I'd be walking through the local mall shopping or whatever. And people would stop me. It was, it was really weird. Like it was something like I always wanted, but it was on such a small level compared to like you know a WWE or whatever it was but in, in the Philadelphia area it was so huge and you would get stopped all the time it was just weird it was very weird and then especially the you know the after those shows like those people they they truly treated us like kings and queens and put us on pedestals and like anything we wanted was ours and and like it was a total uh, you know sex drugs and rock and roll uh lifestyle it really was and, and um it was it was to the extreme. Not only were we all to the extreme inside the ring, but outside the ring too. And, you know, Paul would even tell us, like, before the shows, you know, I don't care what you guys do, you know, that's on you. Go have a good time. Go, you know, whatever. But when you're stepping foot in my ring or 
when it's time for us to shoot promos for TV or whatever, you better not be fucked up. You better be able to perform the way I want you to or you're out the door. Okay, so he made sure that you guys were at least in the headspace to make sure that the show was good, that you guys put on a product that at least made the fans happy, and then at least from there, the world was yours. Yep, pretty much. (laughs) All right, so you're getting onto TV. You're a part of ECW when it's finally starting to blow up. But like you mentioned earlier... As Chubby Dudley, you're pretty much just coming to the ring, you're eating food, you're an accessory to the group, you're not really getting in ring, you're not really actually performing your craft. So where's your mind at with that question. at the time? That, dude, that's such a good question. Like, So the whole Chubby Dudley gimmick was probably the greatest thing that happened to me in wrestling and the worst thing that happened to me in wrestling as well because on the one hand yeah i I was part of the dudleys i was part of ecw i I was part of wrestling history i was part of a magical time in pro wrestling i made amazing friends i met amazing people who you know either i looked up to respected idolized in the business and to this day i still do you know i i I was part of history, bottom line. I was part of wrestling history. On the flip side, I wasn't, like you said, I wasn't able to really show my craft. I wasn't able to do nothing. I was just part of the sideshow, and I wanted to do more. And I felt, too, at the time, and I've said this in, in a lot of interviews, and I actually reconnected with um, Devon Dudley a month ago, and I, and I told him this, too. And we, we, had, we had a long talk when we first uh, reconnected for, like, over an hour and I told him, I said, dude, you know, when you came in, when, when Bubba came in before, right before you, I said, I thought you guys were both so green. I said, I, I had a little bit more experience than you guys, and I felt I could definitely work a, a better match. So I was real, I was pissed off. I was I was really mad and, and pissed off that I was kind of just getting pushed aside, go out there, you know, be part of the sideshow, go and take a chair shot, go through a table. Yeah, you know, take take a super bomb, take this move, take that move. You know, and I'm, I'm taking all this stuff and getting whacked and beat to shit. And I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, okay, at the end of the night, like I'm having a good time. Um, you know, I'm reaping the rewards. Uh, you know, like a star afterwards. But in the long run, I'm not. So I became very frustrated. And fast forward, you know, another year. And then in comes little Spike Dudley. And that's when I saw the writing on the wall. Like his first night in, he comes in, he works a match. I'm like, whoa, like what the frig is going on here? And I I think maybe two or three more weeks I stuck around. And and then I was like, you know what? Like I'm done. Like I I don't need this no more. Because I was getting offers constantly to work independence and stuff like that. I'm like, I'll just go work the indie scene. That's all, you know? And, And that's what my plan was. So I was like... I, I decided, uh, you know, to walk away from ECW. I was, you know, I, I regret it. I, and I became angry again at the business afterwards. But I, I realized again later as I, I, you know, a few years later, I even realized it, that um, Bubba and Devon were much better suited. And, and I, I saw the writing on the wall or, or I saw, yeah, the writing on the wall that they had the much more potential 
to go a lot further in the business than I ever did or ever would. And especially, you know, once they got signed by Vince, like I was like, yeah, I mean, you know, there, there was never a chance of Vince wanting to sign me. And I knew that, you know, I always thought I, if, if anything, if anybody, anybody ever gave me a shot, I thought maybe I can end up in WCW, but you know, they went out of business. <laughs> so I, at that point I was like, yeah, like you're, you know, there's ECW was my shot and you know, it is what it is and was what it was. And, you know, I, I, I honestly, I'm pretty thankful for the way it turned out because I, I don't think, I, I think if I got onto a bigger platform or stage, I probably would like, would have ended up a casualty in wrestling because I, I would have just enjoyed the flip side of it way too much and wouldn't been able to control myself. I think that's actually fair. And it takes a lot of strength and, insight to be able to admit that and also when at the time when you're young and you're not really being utilized and you see like and not no discredit on spike because he went on to the wwe and he did amazing things himself as well absolutely but for yourself you have your training and you don't know if things are really going to pan out unless you take that extra chance on yourself. And if those opportunities exist, why not take the opportunity to possibly increase your name and show your value as a worker? And that's, uh, you know, that was the plan. And it, it literally took, I think, two weeks of doing bookings as Chubby Dudley and then my phone rang, <laughs> and it was uh, Taz, Taz. And I would, I would love, you know, all these years later, Christ, 20, 23, 24 years later, talk to Taz. I haven't talked to Taz since this moment where somehow he got the phone number to the pizza shop I was working and called the pizza shop and threatened me, and, huh. you know. It, it, that if I it, if I didn't stop doing the Dully gimmick, he was going to come pretty much and hurt me. Wow. Yeah. So I, and, I, and I was like, "Are you serious? Stop!" I'm like, "Dude," and I'm tr- was trying to explain myself, and he didn't want to hear it. Didn't want you know no no uh, you know no explanation, no nothing. Here's the deal: you keep doing it. It's our gimmick. I'm going to come stretch it. And I was just like, "Wow. Okay. Whatever, dude. Whatever. Fine." So be it. And from that point on, I, st- I had stopped using uh, Chubby Dudley. And I just, I became uh, the hotshot Bay Ragney. And I did that for a little while. And then I was just like, yeah, you know, again, I, I left pro wrestling altogether for like a year or two. And then I came back on a, as a promoter and just started doing promotions. Yeah, it was a, a lot different approach from the cease and desist you see happening nowadays. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That is most definitely a very old school way of handling things, but I must admit myself, if I got a phone call from a suplex machine known as the Tasmaniac, I would probably also stop using that persona very, very quickly. (laughs) All right, you guys, we're going to be taking a quick break here from this conversation with Bay Ragney. Of course, don't go anywhere. We're going to be jumping back in very soon, asking him about his retirement from the pro wrestling industry 
his podcast slash radio, his award-winning radio program, Totally Driven Entertainment. We're going to be discussing his diagnosis with sarcoidosis and, of course, his return to the wrestling industry as well. So still lots to jump into here. But, of course, before we get there, I just want to go ahead and remind the listeners of today's episode here, of this episode. That's right, you, right now, with your own very ears, listening right now to my voice. I just want to go ahead and tell you about I love DTP.com because why you've already heard me say it like a thousand times if you're a returning listener that it is the best place where you can support the DTP that is I L O V DTP period C O M baby of course don't put the baby inside of your URL that actually might not come up So anyway, like I've said before, the hats, they are on the way soon. New tank tops, they're on the way soon. New cute designs with a friggin' cartoon tiger and a freaking sand castle on the way soon. So many cool things. Wristbands, new stickers, all sorts of stuff. Pins. You know, we're going hard over here because we know that you guys love to rep the show everywhere that you go, in front of your friends, in front of your family, and even your enemies, because screw them. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? Absolutely nothing. They can't stop you. They can't stop you. Just like the man, Bay Ragney can't be stopped, baby. He is working on some positivity, but of course, there's a road to get to that positive moment. He's feeling positive now, and we're going to discuss what it took to get there. So let's get back into this conversation right now before somebody comes and hits me with a chair. Ah! The Desert Tiger Podcast. Why did you end up taking a small break? Was it just because you were sour from the business? Was it for other reasons? Sour from the business, um, was getting married, becoming a father. And I was just like, you know, I, I just got to focus on that right now and worry about that. I can't worry about, you know, pro wrestling. And because at that point, I, you know, I'm closing in on my late 20s now. It's like, yeah, I'm not going to end up going anywhere at that point, I felt. And, it was just going to be a fun uh, hobby, and I felt, honestly, I'd be able to make a bigger splash as a promoter slash booker. Okay, so, and then you actually did end up making a small comeback as a booker after ECW ends up having its fallout, after it ends up getting sold out, after WCW ends up going out. What was the decision to promote again like, and how long did that last for? Yeah, so I did... Uh... Liberty All-Star Wrestling again. We we had done like some sporadic shows through my ECW time and, you know, after ECW. And then at that point, I was just like, you know what? Let, let's let's make a run for it. So we went for it's about three years. And we made a nice little splash, but it was just hard, you know, to get people to come out to shows. And, and then it was um and, and finding buildings and, and investing money. And, you know, I, I just didn't have the money to invest properly and, you know, it was run on a total shoestring budget and, you know, you're, you're hoping people show up so you can pay your bills and, you know, before you even open the doors, like you're almost 2000 in the hole and you got to hope for 200 ticket sales just to cover, you know, b- before you open the doors, not even talent or nothing. And, and then you got to 
pay for your talent. It was just like becoming so much. And my goal was really to run like a little, you know, Southern territory, like a little Memphis. And, you know, I was setting up buildings like a good 45 minutes apart so I can try to build up four different little towns and, and rotate each week and, and was just busting my ass trying to do all this. And, you know, it just didn't work. It just people weren't coming, coming out. Like I, we had a small dedicated following and, you know, we would get to these bigger buildings and, and nobody would show and you'd have to bring in bigger names to try to fill it. And, you know, then, then your budgets are five, 6,000 a show. And you're like, you know, my, I had to stop. I literally stopped paying my bills to pay for these wrestling shows. And it finally got to the point where the, the electric company was at my door shutting my electric off. And I was like, you know what? I'm done. This is it. I, I, I almost lost everything. So, I mean, I, I had to borrow money to get my electric turned back on. I was like, hey, from, from here on out, like I'm done. Like I, I walked away from wrestling. That was uh, April of 2002. And I pretty much walked away for the last 16 years. I just got back involved uh, last year. So that was the moment you actually decided to retire fully. Pretty much, pretty much. Like at that point, I was just like, I didn't even, and I really didn't even start watching wrestling again until last year. Like, and not even that I really watch it consistently right now, but I wouldn't even think about turning it on. I mean, it was literally known as um, the Antichrist in my house because it had done and wrecked so much havoc, uh, you know all my life and my family. So it was something that was really kind of kept away from to, to, to keep, to keep me sane. I'll say that's understandable because after well over a decade of trying your hand after something, it would be stressful. And I could imagine the effects it would have on one's mental health. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You put so much truly love and, and time and effort into it you know to to end up you know it, it, honestly I, I felt like a failure I truly felt like a failure when it came to um, you know with, with the with the wrestling end with how much like money I'd lost and stuff like that so I, I was just like yeah you know I, I, I don't need this stuff in my life so I, I walked away from it which is completely understandable and it ended up taking you a little while to end up coming back to the entertainment industry but you finally did with totally driven entertainment so what finally did it take for you to decide to come back to the entertainment industry what was the moment like and what has totally driven entertainment meant to you uh well the whole thing happened from pro wrestling (laughs) (laughs) so what happened was um uh, so I guess about eight years ago, there was a local, um, uh, the TWA had restarted with, uh, one of the guys from the, the original TWA had restarted it and he was doing a show one night and he was doing like a, a Royal Rumble type thing of old TWA guys, like a reunion type Royal Rumble. And he asked me to be part of it. So I was like, yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll do it. So I, I came out as Chubby Dudley and did the Royal Rumble thing, and there was a guy there uh, backstage who was doing interviews with a lot of the guys and uh, for a YouTube channel. So he did an interview with me, and we just connected, hit it off, and became friends on Facebook, whatever. And, um, you know, he reached out to me. He was like, you know, I, th- I feel like we really hit it off. He's like, would you be interested in helping me try to build up, like, my YouTube channel and my whole 
things. So we, we got together and went and had dinner one night and we sat and talked about ideas and stuff like that. And we decided to work together. Uh, and it's called completely damaged. And so we, uh, we were starting to build up this whole completely damaged thing and working on got a website going and, you know, my ideas and stuff like that. But my idea, and I kept trying to pitch to him was, Hey, like all he wanted to focus on was pro wrestling. Like he didn't want to know nothing else about anything. I'm like, dude, there's like so much stuff out there to branch out from pro wrestling. I'm like, you know, there, there's music, movies, TVs, comedy. There's so much out there. And he wanted no parts of it. And after almost a year of, of trying to, to break them down, to, to venture out into other realms, like I just was like, you know what? Screw this. Like I, I don't want to be bothered no more. Like I, I can do my own thing. Again, I, I can do my own thing. Mm-hmm. I, why do I need to just sit here and focus on pro wrestling when I'm not even into the whole pro wrestling thing anymore? Like let me try something else. So, so his name completely damaged. I was like, you know what? I, I need to come up with something like positive. Like I was, you know, I, I suffer from depression very bad, and I'm, I'm like, I, I need something positive. I need a, a positive spin on it. And the thing that just kept coming in my head was totally driven. Totally driven. You got to be totally driven to, you know, succeed in any form of entertainment. You got to be positive and dedicated and it just kept coming to me and coming to me and I, and I kept trying to think of something different and I couldn't so uh, that formed totally driven entertainment and we started with um, just a website and then uh, I had somebody came to me and went offered to do a podcast and we started with uh, an hour podcast every Thursday and then we went to two hours and now we do three hours and it's going to be um, this October will be seven years we've done closed in in on 330 live shows and i've done another 170 pre-tape shows and um yeah and we do we cover exactly what i want to cover everything like we we don't limit it like we cover you know we do cover wrestling very small but we cover wrestling we cover music we cover tv movies comedy um authors like, like anybody with uh you know that i have interest in in the world of entertainment or that has an interesting story that's going to intrigue me you know we open our airwaves to and we've ended up interviewing you know maybe some of the smallest people in the world of entertainment but we've also have interviewed some of the biggest people in entertainment like you know we've interviewed uh grammy award-winning musicians uh, academy award-winning actors uh authors we've done it all stanley cup champions world series champions super bowl champions we, we've done it all olympic gold medalists like uh tv reality stars like you know so every, every form of um entertainment we cover and in, you know i've ended up making some amazing friendships with these people over the years that i remain in contact with and you know the, just end up shooting text messages or whatever and become friends and you know when in the area possibly get together it's just it's a weird thing but it's a, it's a really fun thing oh without a doubt it actually definitely sounds what i'm trying to build desert tiger into with where you're trying to reach out into different avenues because why only focus on one different area when there's so many different intriguing and inspiring individuals doing so many different things in so many different areas and of course there's so many different styles of guests so i want to ask you has there been any guests that maybe surprised you where you ended up like walking in coming out with a certain expectation or thinking the interview was going to go one way and then 
at the end of the interview, you just ended up coming out amazed because things went out in a completely different direction, but it was incredible. Honestly, so many of them. There, there's so many of them I do where, uh, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, like a lot of times I've go into interviews with people like I'm not kind of possibly interested in where I'm like, all right, you know, like, um, like I, I ended up working with a, a lot of different PR people that I've made connections with over the year. And I, I work with like 50, 60 different PR people where either, you know, I'm emailing them once a month with my openings or they you know, email me can, <laughs> daily, you know, can you do this interview? Can you do this interview? And a lot of times, like, and, and I even say to them jokingly, like, all right, yeah, I don't really want to do it, like, but I'll take one for the team, like, to help you out. Um, you know, with, you know, when you get somebody down the line who I really want, you make sure I'm on that list and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And there's a lot of times I've gone into interviews like that and I've been totally blown away and, you know, have amazing interviews and, and just hit it off with people. And they end up being some of the best interviews. They really do. It's kind of weird and scared, scary, but yeah, it's, it's totally like that. And I've had a few where... I've walked into and I had no idea they were wrestling fans. And that's even weirder when people do their homework on you as, as the interviewer and they start pulling out questions on you like they know who you are. I was it's, it's kind of freaky and not expecting it, but I've had that happen a good maybe like a dozen times where people were big wrestling fans and th those people really like uh, I, I, there there's one guy from a band who we, we've become friends with and this was an interview from like three four months ago and he's always like he'll, he posts on my facebook poll he's like dude i, I am in a total fangirl moment at the time and it's just kind of funny i'm like dude stop like you know it's just like just stop please um but it, it's it, it's it's cool man it, but on the flip side it's also like i just had a, i had a business meeting the other night with my cousin my cousin's in the process of opening um here in the philadelphia area um three locations of uh, hatchet throwing slash escape room places. Uh, it's called Camp Adventureland. And we were trying to think of a way to, you know, work together to market Totally Driven Entertainment and Camp Adventureland together. And we we're trying to think of ideas. And, and the one thing that I was saying to him is it's so hard to market Totally Driven Entertainment because we're so, so um, you know, multifaceted where we have so many different directions where if we were just focused on pro wrestling, it's so much easier just to focus on a pro wrestling audience and easier to market and network to where each week my show changes and each show I do, you know, I have a different guest. So I, you know, trying to find the mark, it, it's, it's a very hard thing, but it's a lot funner that way. I think. I think so too, because you, Rather than getting stuck in a niche, you get a whole varied pool of experience and it makes for a lot more different conversation. It makes things more refreshing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Look, I mean, bottom line was, you know, my number one, like I, I've been a huge Howard Stern fan, you know, since I was in high school, since he came to the Philadelphia area, I was like 17, 18 years old. I, I've always loved Howard, and let's face it, he's the best interview in the business. And I've wanted to like 
make my show kind of like what his modern show is, where it's more more interviews and more talk of personal life. And that's what me and my co-host Nick Wilkinson, that's what we do. Where it's, you know, we spend a portion each week of talking about stuff in our personal life, talking about stuff that we're into entertainment-wise. We'll do some music countdowns, but then we'll put in like one or two interviews a week. And that's how we do it. And, you know, I, I really, like, I, I've i said this to my cousin in our meeting the other night, and I've said this to other people. Like, I might not be Howard Stern, but I'll put my interviews, a lot of my interviews, second to Howard Stern. Like, I, I feel I can go out and, and maybe not do as perfect an interview as him, but I feel I can get pretty damn close. And it's, that's one thing I'm very confident in. There's not a lot of confident in in life, but that's one thing I've become very confident in is my interviews. Well, that's fantastic, and I'm glad that that's allowed you to do it because, like you said earlier, you wanted to have a positive message with the name Totally Driven. Mm -hmm. Something I want to know, has the Totally Driven Entertainment, has that allowed you to pick yourself up out of certain moods, and has that helped you allow you to move through things? Good question. Yes and no. Yes and no. Like there's been times, absolutely. But I can also tell you too, there's been times in this seven year course where, you know, um, my depression has struck me really bad. There was a time, I think it was like three summers ago, like I was going through a real bad spot and I literally, I canceled a month, a month of shows and, and just disconnect. Like I was just had a disconnect from everything. Like I just couldn't do it. I was in such a a bad place depression wise and just really just down and in a, in a like black cloud. Like I just couldn't shake it and no matter what I tried to do and then something finally pulled me out of it. But I, I mean, it, it's still like, you know, every day, like I, I go through my emotions. Like, you know, I had a moment like that last week where, you know, my cousin passed away last Tuesday night and I'm there at the hospital with him and we've been very, very close. Um, especially over the last 10 years, he, he was like, became like literally my big brother. And, um, Wednesday, like I, I, um, went to work Wednesday morning. I was done back home by noontime. And like, I couldn't, I, I couldn't even talk like that from that morning. I woke up like, I couldn't talk to my, to my wife, my kid, like nobody. I came home and, and my big thing is like I needed to literally just get naked and get in bed under my covers and just pull the covers over my head. And I just I, – I couldn't do nothing. I was just devastated and, and just I, – I just stayed in bed the rest of the day. Like I, I just couldn't do it. Hey, and those days happen to everybody. It's okay to not be okay all of the time. Yeah, absolutely. It happens, you know, you know, and that's what people just need to realize. Like, and, and again, I, I tell this, I talk about it every week on my show and I'm, I'm very proud to admit, like I go to therapy once a week. As a matter of fact, I go this evening and I can't freaking wait. Um, I walk out of there every week feeling so much better and I've learned so much about myself and learned, uh, about my life and situations and it's opened my eyes to so much, you know, one thing that people really need to realize is like, we all go through it. Not one person doesn't go through it. And that was kind of something that I, I thought for years, like, it's just me. And it's not like, it's everybody. Like, you know, you just have to really, um, 
you know, be open with your feelings about it and, and, and talk, don't be scared to talk to people about it. And, you know, I, I, I have, you know, my therapist, I have a couple very close friends that I can really open up to and sit down and talk about it. And, you know, and, and I realize like, I'm not alone. Like, but my only bad part is where in times in life, like I, my big thing is like, I've, I've turned to food if I get depressed or drinking, like, like yesterday was my, my cousin's services and, and I was sitting there and I started pounding beers and I'm talking to a couple of my other cousins and we're all, we've all had weight problems in them. They come over and they're like, Oh, you guys get, um, ice cream. And I'm thinking to myself, like, uh, I'm like currently on the, like, I don't want ice cream, but I'm just, I look like the, the lady and I'm like, does it come with chocolate syrup? She's like, absolutely. I said, well, I want my fucking ice cream then. And I'm eating it. And I turn to my one cousin and I'm just like, I am so anger eating this right now. Like I could feel it. Like it was just, er, er, pounding a beer, er, with ice cream. I'm just like, what am I doing? Like, you know, so yeah, you, you get caught up in the moments and you just gotta really realize that and open your eyes to things and be more aware. And, um, I, I, I say fuck it a lot to things in life, and I got, I've literally learned not to say fuck it. Mm-hmm. Well, and sometimes you need to learn where to draw a line. Because like you said earlier before, had you gone certain directions, maybe things wouldn't have gone as well as they had or maybe had gone worse. You have the insight to know that these things are happening so you can at least move through them and you can understand them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So you've actually made a return to the wrestling industry in a way recently by making your way back to some conventions, some conferences, some different ways. So what is it like to finally return to the stage as Chubby Dudley? You know what? It's 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 perfect. It really is. Um, so late last, uh, or maybe it was last summer, late last summer, um, my original business partner in Liberty All Star Wrestling had restarted Liberty All Star Wrestling uh, the year previously, and he came to me and he asked me to become part of his commentary team, and I was just like, nope, uh, uh-uh, uh, no, thank you, no parts of it, nope, I don't want to be involved. I, no, no. No, I'm not even coming to the shoes. No. And I hadn't been. And um, he just kept calling and texting and begging. And he was like, I'm, I'm, you know, here, here's the team I want to put you together with. And, you know, and that person like started calling and texting me. And I, and I've known that person since they were a small child. And uh, their father was my original ring announcer. And I was just like, Oh my God, you're killing me. And then finally, like I just gave in because I, I, I didn't, I did not have confidence in me doing commentary. I'd never done commentary before, but I had confidence in, uh, who my original partner was meant to be, uh, Richie. Cause I, I'd known the work he had done with other things. So I felt confident to, you know, be the, the, the sidekick, you know, one liner guy next to him as he was calling up the action. So we did the first show and, and had a blast. And, and I was like, this is, this was a lot of fun. Like I was totally happy. I did it. And then, you know, it's from putting it out there that I was kind of back in the world of pro wrestling. Like all of a sudden, like people started hitting me up to do conventions and other shows. And I was like, Whoa, like what's, what's going on here? And, and they were all for like really good money. I'm like, Whoa. All right. So, yeah, I'll, 
I'll take it. I'll take the bookings. And uh, I love doing, um, you know, these conventions because first off, it's like a reunion. Like you get to see old people, old friends that, that you haven't seen in a while. So they become, they become like a, a, almost like a family reunion. And then you get to meet the fans who are just amazing. Like they, they have, you know, amazing questions and, and just want to hang out and talk to you. And I'm, I'm all about it, man. Like I'm all about meeting people and, uh, you know, answering our questions. And, you know, I, I don't pull no punches. I'll tell honestly, just like I've told you today, like honest answers on my thoughts and feelings of, you know, what was going on at the time, what I felt at the time and what I feel now. And yeah, it's, it's, I'm very, I'm very thankful, um, to be in a role to do this now, do it this way. Like, I, I don't want to step foot back in a ring, so I'm very happy to, you know, do commentary. I'm very happy to uh, do conventions. I actually have a booking next month down in West Virginia at the end of the month where I'm I'm managing somebody, I think. I don't even know. That's all I was told. I was, I'll, I'll be managing somebody. And I've been booked on it for six months, and so I'm, I'm waiting to hear my final uh, call of duty for this show. But, you know, it, it'll be a good time. Hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Like you said, a fam- from family reunions like you had earlier with your brother Devon to meeting the fans to just being able to involve yourself in the industry. So like you said, you're willing to manage, you're willing to do other things, but the in-ring career is done? It, it, it is. Um, like I, I'm going to be 50 next year or I also, I found out uh, just about two and a half years ago, I have this weird, rare autoimmune disease called sarcoidosis, um, which uh, affects basically my whole body. It affects my lungs. Um, and for the first year, year and a half that we found that I had it, like you're on all these, I was on all these different medicines to try to treat it and it's uncurable and it affects everybody different, but in a way it was affecting me. It was just complete. Um, my body was just completely riddled with pain, very hard to walk or move, problems breathing. And, uh, like it was just like, I, I couldn't do nothing. Like getting off my couch was like the hardest chore of the day and, um, getting out of bed. I mean, you're just completely fatigued and worn down. And about a year ago, my doctor came to me, he said, look, he's like, he, uh, in the Philadelphia area, he treats the most people with this there with this disease there's i think he's got like 497 patients or whatever so he said to me so like there's there's this drug he's like an experimental drug for it that you know I'm, I'm using to treat some patients and it seems to be working would you be interested in trying it it's like it, it but it's an injection cool like i'm i said i'm i no like i i can't inject myself he's like well you know you can either come to our office or we can teach your wife how to do it I said, uh, and then I was like, well, I think she might enjoy that too much. But anyway, she, but she, <laughs> she does it for me and it's supposed to be once a week. And we started out once a week and it's like been a miracle cure. Like I, I feel amazing and I feel so much better. And I actually went and saw him for my three month checkup uh, a couple weeks ago. And he's like, if you told me you were the same guy that was in my office from a year ago, you, you never would know because I literally, it got to the point where I literally thought I was, I was on my way out. Like I thought I was going to die. It was that bad. Oh, wow. Um, 
it, it was really that bad. Like I, I, I've never felt so horrible in my life. Like I just couldn't do nothing. Um, to where now I'm literally two months ago, I, I really like, I've been feeling so good. I was like, you know what? It, it's time to really like change my life for the better health wise. So I started eating a lot better. Uh, I joined the gym. I, I go to a gym now and, and now I'm going seven days a week to where 4th of July. It was just, yeah, I think it was 4th of July. Like I did the treadmill for 70 minutes and did four miles. Like, oh man. Yeah. So I'm like, now I'm like inter- intertwining weights and stuff and I'm starting to work with weights again. So I have no desire to want to get back in the ring and, and work matches or anything, but now I'm just, I just want to get healthy and lose weight and be able to move and function and, and live a much better quality of life for myself and my family. So that's kind of like my goal right now. So, but on the wrestling point, like I'm happy doing, I'll do conventions every freaking weekend and have a blast. So <laughs> people, you know, or, or even some type of shows in some way, but uh, yeah, not stepping foot in the ring. Okay. So even though you have sarcoidosis, which unfortunately is a disease that a lot of people maybe have not heard of, you're still tackling it with the best mindset possible with staying in shape, eating properly and everything else, making sure that you can stay around and create as many memories with your wife and your daughter as you possibly can. Yeah, it's, you know, the whole sarcoidosis thing. And that's what it is. Like, nobody knows what it is. Like, when they came to me, like, what happened was... um, I was having like all these bad back issues and I'm not, I'm not a person to go to a doctor and it was, the pain was going on for almost six weeks and it was just so bad that I couldn't take it one night. And I literally, I went to, I broke down and went to the hospital. It was that bad. And, um, they started running tests on me and, you know, cat scans and stuff like that. And they're like, you need to follow up with your, your primary physician. And that's what I did. And he sent me for more tests and he calls me up. It was literally a Friday at almost five o'clock. And he, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm looking at your, um, your cat scans and, and your MRIs and stuff like that. And he's like, yeah, you know, he's like, I don't know how to tell you this, but I think you might have cancer. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, your lymph nodes are all, he's like, they're, they're, they're huge. He's like, they're all large. I'm like, so what's that mean? <laughs> like, he's like, you might have cancer. Well, what do I got to do? He's like, well, you need to go get tested. He's like, I'm going to set you up for next week. You couldn't have called me Monday and told me this. Now you tell me on a Friday, I got to sit here all weekend and wait. Like, right? are you out of your... yeah, I'm, I was freaking out. And that's how both my parents died was cancer. So I'm like a freaking oh, basket. Wow. Cake. Yeah. So. They sent me, uh, you know, I meet with the this doctor and they're like, yeah, I, we got to do this biopsy. We got to take a lymph node out of your neck. We'll do a biopsy of it and we'll figure out, you know, it's either going to be cancer, lymphoma or sarcoidosis. So, and, and at that point I was just like, whoa, what the hell is that? <laughs> and they're like, well, sarcoidosis, it, it, that's what Bernie Mac died from. I'm like, well, that don't sound good. I'm like, still serious then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like, this is not like the booby prize here I'm getting. So, um. That's what they did. They did the biopsy and they called me a few days later and they said it's sarcoidosis. So I'm like, now what? And then as you know, you start researching and finding out more things about it. And I'm like, well, this, like, it just answered so many questions on how I felt the last couple years. Like, I, I, like, okay, well, now I know. Now what do we do? And you know, until we we found this, you know, experimental injection, man. Like, I was down and out. Like. I'm very thankful every day that I open my eyes and get out of bed. I mean, because I feel amazing. 
So this last year truly has been a change of pace for you. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Night and day. Night and day. I, I probably wouldn't even, like, agree to start doing anything in wrestling at all if I felt like I did, you know, six months beforehand. Oh, I wouldn't have blamed you based yeah. on the way that you're describing it. I mean, just to be able to travel to go to shows alone. Yeah, yeah, no. Nah. I, I mean, it, it was like a struggle just to walk from my car into my house every day. Like, it was wow. that bad. Well, I am I am very glad that this experimental treatment came out and was brought forward to you. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so before I ask you my last question of the day, where can the Desert Tiger Podcast listeners go to find out more about Ray, or Bay Ragney? Sorry. Did it again. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, so everybody can look for me all over Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just type in Bay Ragney or Chubby Dudley or Totally Driven Entertainment or Totally Driven Radio. Uh, give me a like, love, follow. You know, you can message me on Facebook or wherever. Like, I answer everybody's questions messages whatever so yeah always available so hit me up that includes you man hit me up awesome fantastic i definitely will so now that your children have had some time to grow and now that you're getting back into the business do your children actually like understand and appreciate the time that you spent in the industry do they appreciate the wrestling industry and just where is their feelings towards you and your time in the business? Yeah, it's that's funny because they really they didn't under really understand it um, until recently, and they, uh, <laughs> they they neither of them were really wrestling fans um, in the past. You know, nine months that I've been back involved. My older daughter, who's 21, she's been starting to get become a wrestling fan, and she, but she really she's really into New Japan for wrestling because she's all both of my daughters are both into the world of anime and video games and stuff like that. So she's really into the whole New Japan style of wrestling. So we've been watching a lot of wrestling here and there together, and she had been asking like she was she works at a local library, and one of the girls she works with is a big wrestling fan and she had mentioned oh my father was chubby dudley and the girl was freaking the frig out <laughs> so like uh and, and was saying to my daughter she's like you know have you ever watched any of the ecw stuff and my daughter's never seen none of it so my daughter came to me she's just like telling me how this girl was freaking out she's like you know i, I want to watch some of this ecw stuff with you i'm like all right so i ended up getting the network and uh, the first thing we watched together was um november to remember 95 oh wow and we watched it and she literally turned to me afterwards and she said, you guys were fucking nuts. <laughs> uh, but then she like, as we've been watching more and more stuff and she's been seeing me, you know, when I, I recently did a convention up in Rhode Island and when I came maybe right before I left for the convention one night, we were watching TV or something. And she turned to me, she's like, are, are you like a celebrity? Are you considered a celebrity? Like, she's like, you know, I've been starting to like Google your name and, like, do you know, like, you you have a Wikipedia page? Do, do you know you're, like, you're on IMDb? Do you know this? Do you know that? And I'm just, like, like, Ray, like, her, her name's Rita. I'm, like, Ray, like, I, I'm your dad. Like, I'm, I'm not a celebrity. I'm, like, <laughs> you don't see TMZ following me around. You don't, you don't see all this crazy stuff. I said, do, do people stop me from time to time? Yes. 
you know, I've started taking her to wrestling shows and people stopping at pictures with us and stuff like that. And, you know, so she's, she's kind of getting a kick out of it. My younger daughter, who's 15, she really, you know, she, she could kind of, I think, care less. She gets a kick out of some of the stuff, but she's not really into it like the older one. Huh. Well, hopefully the older one can teach her at some point and be like, hey, um, do, do, do you realize just who, who your father is, right? <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure it's just a teenager phase. Yeah, yeah. She, she, she can. She beats to her. She's like me. She big time. She beats to her own drum. Like, you know, unless it interests her, she don't really care. Hey, following that Regni path for sure. Absolutely. All right, fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today, Bay, and for sharing so much of your story. Thank you, man. Thank you for the great questions. And uh, yeah, dude, this was a lot of fun. Uh, you guys don't know how annoyed I am because I walked around for like three days before I got the chance to speak with Bay, literally repeating his name so that I didn't go dyslexic and get it backwards. Literally walking around saying, Bay Ragni, Bay Ragni, Bay, Bay, Bay. And what do I go and do? I say Ray Bagney right at the end. And maybe I deserve that, but it's okay. Mistakes get happened, dropping the ball happens, and man, it doesn't always mean that it's going to be the end of the game. It all just depends on how much time is left on the clock and what you are willing to try and do with it. So I want to go ahead and thank Bay for joining me here on this episode of the DTP. And I want to go ahead and thank you guys, the listeners of the Desert Tiger Podcast, for tuning in to today's, this week's episode of the DTP. Alright you guys, if you haven't gone ahead and subscribed to Desert Tiger yet, what are you waiting for? Maybe you want to go ahead and hit the subscribe or play button on whatever service you happen to be listening on right now. If you have been around for a while, maybe you enjoy the show enough to rate or review the show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher. Maybe you liked this episode so much that you want to go ahead and share it on your social media. You know, your Facebook page, your Instagram stories. Maybe you want to tweet about it. I would be extremely pleased if you tagged the show in that, of course, so I can go ahead and give you some love for doing so. You know, tag Desert Tiger Entertainment, Desert Tiger Podcast, or even me, myself, Colton Geschwanner, also known as Colton.G underscore over on the IG. Share it in your story. Tag me. We'll have like a little share story section thing going on. It'll be beautiful. Why? Because you're a beautiful person and maybe you want to tell people about this show in person, face to face, you know, when you're having actual verbal interactions with them. Well, maybe the best way to start that conversation is by showing them the sweet Desert Tiger shirt you got over at ilovedtp.com. You can tell them all about the show, why you bought the shirt, because you love supporting the show and you know that it is the best way to support the show so that we can grow and continue to expand, get new, exciting, amazing interviews, and even maybe possibly one day, 
upgrade our damn equipment. That's right. I know you guys want me to upgrade it. I hear you guys. We're getting there. I'm so sorry that it's taking time, but we'll, we'll get there. We're getting there, okay? It takes time. Next week on the show, I am joined by the Constellation Sensation, Ryan O'Ryan and According to my research, I believe that Ryan O'Ryan is the only traveling, the only touring pro wrestling manager in the Canadian market. Of course, the manager used to be a very crucial part of the storytelling role, especially with heels in the industry. And Ryan takes his position very seriously, and I'm very excited to discuss with him how he got into pro wrestling and why he wanted to be a manager, what it means to him, and how it has affected his life in a positive way. All right, so that's next week's business. There's like seven days in between there. That's lots of time for you to go out, be an incredible human being, and do amazing things with your time. So why don't you go out and do that? Shine bright like the absolute freaking diamond that you are. And until next week, peace, love, and hugs, and I will catch you later. Bye-bye.